0: the show. Welcome to a solo episode that I feel like I have owed you guys forever. I've been saying on Instagram that I was going to do one for so long. I've had you do like three Q&As and here we are. I feel like it's been forever since I've done one. I think I did one in the beginning of January and we're only in like mid-February, late February. I don't even know. But I feel like I've put out so many episodes (laughs) since I did that last one. So. Anyway, it probably sounds weird, but when I do these, I feel like I'm kind of doing like a one-sided FaceTime with a friend or like just firing off voice notes to friends, which I do all the time. So it's fun to just catch you guys up on things and answer your questions. And I kind of feel like I've missed you like in a weird way. I don't even know who's listening. But anyway, I wasn't going to go here, but why not? I'm feeling frisky in every question box that I get on Instagram, I'd say like 75% of the questions are about my relationship and I get tons, like tons of DMs and comments. So I will finally address it. I mean, it's public knowledge now, so that's why I don't mind speaking to it a little bit. But yes, I think it's so obvious Chuck and I are together but I'm going to speak to this specific question and comment that I keep getting. And that is, do we not want to put out a new statement saying we have reconciled? And the answer to that is such a hard no. And I'm going to tell you why. So somebody commented to me recently that we basically owe an explanation or a new statement because the divorce statement was so public. And I feel like On the one hand, I'm truly flattered that anybody gives a shit. It's shocking to me. And at the same time, we did that because divorce filings are public. There is no way to do it privately. They are public record. Like the details of the proceedings and the terms and all of that can be private, I think, in some cases, but not the actual filing itself. So... I mean, there's literally people from like TMZ who sit at the courthouse in L.A. and wait for anybody notable to file for divorce. So we knew that and we knew that it was going to get out there and we wanted to stay ahead of it and just put out a joint statement so people wouldn't try to make up stories or speculate about what happened, even though they still did. But he and I have always been super private about our relationship, so I will say we separated mutually and amicably. We decided to file for divorce amicably. I think there's a misconception that when somebody files, it's like a shock to the other party or it's that person initiating it. Not true. We did everything together and we put out the statement together. So things were never bad or contentious between us when we separated, which was actually very difficult. And then when we decided to give it another shot, I didn't know what was going to happen. And that was like, the entire fall. So it was so hard and annoying to have people constantly asking, saying that I should update everybody on what the status is because I was like, well, I don't know. I hope it works out, but I don't know. Like we want to be together, but we're not sure if it's going to ultimately work out or not. So it was hard because on the one hand, I did want to, I don't know, I guess. No, I won't even say that. I didn't really want to update people, but at the same time, like I get the intrigue. So, I was trying to do it in a vague way. I thought it was so obvious. I thought like being in the house and I just I people were such sleuths when it came to the separation, like when I was not wearing my ring or posting in a different house. So, I just thought that it would be really obvious when we were together. But anyway, all of that is to say there will not be a statement ever because just not our style to announce what is going on privately as I sit here and talk about what's going on privately. But I am also just trying to shed some light on how these things work. So that other statement was just done strategically so that when the filing hit, there was a statement to go along with it. And we knew that it would blow over a few days because we did it on a Friday afternoon. So now I've said way too much, but that's just like I said, how these things often work, especially when it comes to like a Hollywood divorce or anything public like that. I'm sure in almost every case there is collaboration with the media and we didn't do this, but the media can definitely be manipulated and celebrities and their teams know exactly what they're doing when it comes to statements and planted stories and paparazzi shots, et cetera. So this is kind of off topic, but kind of funny. So On Valentine's Day, we went to dinner at Giorgio Baldi and there were lots of celebrities there. There always are. But it's known to be a place where paparazzi are camped out. I mean, just standing around outside. They're not hiding in the bushes. They're standing there on the side of the road, just like scrolling on their phones, waiting for somebody to come every single night. There's three restaurants in L.A. that are like that. There's Craig's in West Hollywood. Nobu and Malibu and Giorgio, which is in, I don't know if it's technically Santa Monica. So people go there knowing that. And J-Lo and Ben were there. And I saw comments on some of the paparazzi pictures, like celebrity account, like gossip accounts the next day. And people were saying like, they look so miserable. And I mean, you really can't gauge, I don't think, what's going on in somebody's relationship based on a candid picture. I will say that but people were like, well, how would you feel if the paparazzi were following your every move? No. You pull up to the restaurants and like I said, they're all just standing on the sidewalk in plain view waiting. So don't believe when people are like caught by the paparazzi at these places. They are going there for the publicity, for the pictures. Sure, maybe they like the food, but they know that there's paparazzi there. So There's a restaurant across the street where we go all the time that is also Italian, really good food, super cute, quaint, kind of romantic vibe, and there's no paparazzi. So you could go there for your pasta or whatever, but they don't. So that's a little more insight into the inner workings of publicity, I guess. So anyway... Let's see. For this episode, I have questions about that. So, hopefully, that was satisfying for everybody who was wondering. I got questions about my boobs. Let's see. Money. I don't know if I'm going to go there. Mental health, wellness. We're kind of all over the place. So, hang in there. So, I'm going to start with a boob update. I got tons of questions about this, and it's fresh on my mind because I just did a post about it, which was interesting. So, if you don't want to hear this or if a makes you feel upset or whatever, feel free to fast forward. So I did a post the other day about how happy I am with them. And the majority of the comments, and there were a lot, were about how toxic they are and how prevalent breast implant illness is. And I should be more mindful of what I'm promoting and how people are so relieved that they got theirs out. So, okay. First, I want to say, I believe people experience this. I believe it's real. And if this happened to you, that fucking sucks. And I'm so sorry. (laughs) But it's also mind blowing to me how people just choose to talk about how terrible they are and how having them removed was the best thing ever. When I post about how I just put them in my body six months ago, I'm like, okay, what do you want me to do with that? Like, I'm sure everybody will say they're just raising awareness. Fine but it's just still kind of baffling to me. Like if I had never met somebody and we were having a conversation and I said, yeah, I just did my breasts a few months ago. I'm so happy. Would they be like, well, they're actually really toxic and damaging for your body. So have fun with that. Like probably not. I'm sure somebody is going to say they would, (laughs) but that's the internet. Like the same thing happens when I post oatmeal. You know, I get all the people who say that oats are terrible. Anyway, some people just, I think, seem to have an issue with the fact that I'm health conscious and I chose to do this. But my approach to my health is moderation. It's flexibility. It's doing what works for me. And prior to doing my boobs, I talked to all of my friends who have implants, none of who have had complications, by the way. And again, that's not to say it doesn't happen. Just the pool of people that I know who have had them have not had issues. But I did read a lot about breast implant illness. I discussed it, not just with my surgeon, but with a lot of my friends in different positions in the medical field, doctors, nurse practitioners, a naturopath. And I ultimately decided to go with implants. I mean, I think I would say, if you're concerned about breast implant illness being a possibility, just don't do them. I think that anxiety can manifest in physical ways and you're going to be constantly wondering if it's happening to you, I think. So I would not say to do it if you have any sliver of doubt or concern. So I decided for myself that I was not concerned enough to not do it, but I am pretty sensitive. So if I ever feel like things are off and I feel like I'm having some kind of complications like I would investigate that and be really open about it and everybody can tell me that they told me so but I don't know in the episode that I did with Dr. Cohen we talked about breast implant illness so you can go back and listen to that another person said that I was not addressing the elephant in the room I feel like I have addressed the elephant in the room and I'm not trying to be defensive here but this is my position we talked about it on the podcast I know that he's a surgeon, so he's going to maybe have a different opinion about it than like someone who only does explant surgery or somebody who only works with people who have had breast implant illness. But he's done plenty of explants. And he said some people feel better and some people don't. And I also had a lot of people DM me saying I've had them for 10 years. I've had them for 18 years. I've had them for 20 years. I've never had an issue. So You can definitely find the information out there to support whatever it is that you're looking for. So all of that said, I'm six months post-op from a circumariolar lift, also known as a donut lift, also known as a Benelli lift, and small implants. I did 230 in one, 250 in another. I believe I did moderate profile and The reason ultimately that I went with an implant is because I didn't have enough fat and I have a fast metabolism and I just didn't think that I would have the result or the consistent result that I was looking for with fat. So the main questions were, how is my health? When could I start to work out? When did they begin to look natural? Can I sleep on my side or my stomach? Okay, so I won't lie, the lift part of the surgery was pretty Difficult. I think it took me a while to have my strength and my energy back, but I truly love them. I could not be happier. And it was mainly the first three weeks where I just kind of felt like I was hit by a truck. But I went on that bike trip to France. I think it was around six weeks post op, maybe eight, but I was totally fine. And then I started working out when I got back. So I don't do chest exercises, but I never really did anyway. I do mostly posterior. And I am doing Pilates now and there's a good amount of planking and pulling ropes and things like that on the reformer, but it's really easy to modify and just do what feels comfortable. My health is good. I'm working with Dr. Jessica Cho, who was on my podcast, I think back in September. She's amazing. We are working to get my hormones balanced and a few other things, but these are things that I have been wanting to work on since before I had surgery Boobs started to look great around, I would say about a month, but they really dropped and fluffed around like two to three months, I would say. And yes, I can sleep on my side and my stomach. Unfortunately, I've always been a stomach sleeper and I've tried to train myself out of it. And actually, it was great after my surgery because I could not. And I really got comfortable sleeping on my back. But now I'm kind of like back to waking up on my stomach. I'm like, damn it. I don't want to do that. So, yeah, if you're considering this, but you have reservations, totally understandable. I definitely had some reservations and I did the research that I felt was sufficient for me to make my decision. But don't do it or not do it because of my advice. Do your research. There are so many resources. There's podcasts look for the information that you're seeking out and then look for contrary information to that as well. Like if you're looking for info about breast implant illness, then look for evidence against it and vice versa. If you're looking for the safety of implants, also look at whatever research there is or whatever you want to find about people who have experienced health complications as a result of getting implants. That's how you are truly going to form your own opinion And I think make the best decision for you. And that goes for anything. So I'm really happy with my decision. If that changes, I would be forthcoming with you guys about that. But so far, so good. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When you are at your best, you can do great things, but sometimes life gets you bogged down and you may feel overwhelmed or like you're not showing up in the best way that you want to. Maybe you are dealing with a challenging situation that you don't know how to navigate. Or alternatively, maybe things are really good and you want to maximize that and step into that power. Sometimes I find that The most I get out of therapy is during those times when things are going really well. So working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you, no matter how things are going in your life right now. Because when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything life throws at you. You guys know that I am a proponent of therapy. I've been in therapy since I got sober, and it is by far one of the most valuable tools that I have in my toolbox. I have a big support network and I have a lot of friends and family that I can go to with things, but having that professional, unbiased, objective person in my life is just so helpful. I've had so many major revelations in therapy and not even from a therapist telling me what to do or pointing anything out but essentially by them just holding up a mirror to me and to my life and like I said it's not only amazing when things are tough but it can also be amazing when things are really good so if you're thinking about giving therapy a try better help is a great option it's convenient flexible affordable and entirely online just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge so if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash files today, and you will get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com files. Hi guys, it's Jordan from the Balance Blonde Soul on Fire Podcast. On my show, we go deep on all things astrology, awakening, motherhood, channeling, healing, and so much more. A few years ago, I was diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease, and the healing journey I embarked on at that time set me on the path to radical awakening. Let's just say I had no choice but to change my energy, and that opened me up to the most beautiful healing of my life. On my show, you can expect to feel like you're sitting in my living room chatting with old friends. Tune in every Wednesday to connect and hang on the Balanced Bond Soul on Fire. Since I'm talking body stuff, let's talk the primary thing that shifted my wellness mentality that being healthy meant having abs. I think it really became more about how I feel than how I look when I essentially ran my body into the ground years ago trying to get those abs. So I'm sure by now most of you know my story, but back when I was doing BBG religiously, that's when I had that mentality. It was all about how I looked. And that's not to say that there weren't some good things that came out of it. Like I learned how to show up for myself and do something really hard. And I gained confidence by making and keeping that commitment to myself. And I did get really strong there for a minute until it became too much, but I was really overdoing it. I mean, BBG is basically 30 minutes of plyometric High intensity training. So there was a lot of wear and tear for me, and it just was so much stress on my body. So when I started tracking macros, in addition to doing those workouts, I think I was eating around like, well, maybe I shouldn't even say this. Well, I will, 12 to 1400 calories a day. I was not giving my body the nutrition and the energy that it needed to sustain those workouts. And also, I have a busy, active life. And slowly, everything in my body got so out of whack, I had zero energy and was obsessed with what I was eating. I could not miss a workout like it was so restrictive, but I did have abs like great. I look back on pictures and I was so lean and I had abs, but I remember being like miserable. And of course, at the time, I didn't think that my body looked great, like it wasn't enough. So it just was like at the point where I would try to work out. I'd get through like seven minutes. I would have to stop. My body was just like, no more. So I was like, okay, well, this doesn't seem like quote unquote wellness to me. And around that same time, I started doing TM, Transcendental Meditation. And I remember I just had this moment where I realized I had to stop forcing my body into this box. And I stopped doing BBG. I stopped tracking macros. And I focused on slowing down and repairing my body basically. So then once I did that and realized slowing down could actually feel really good, my body responded positively. My energy was better. My sleep was better. My period was more normal. I had actual hunger cues. I had freed up so much mental space and energy, not obsessing about working out. I wasn't obsessing about food. I was like, wow, I don't know what to do with all this like time that I have and energy that I have mentally. So I was able to rebuild and like find what felt good because what feels good, I believe, is going to be sustainable. And I think when you find a lifestyle that's sustainable, that's wellness. Like it should feel good and it should be sustainable. It should be doable. So There's that saying that like the best workout is the one that you're actually going to do. So whether that's high intensity or weights or yoga or Pilates or walking or running or bar or whatever, just do more of that. I remember somebody said to me back then something along the lines of like, maybe my body wanted to be five or 10 pounds heavier, but if that's the difference between feeling like shit and feeling amazing, isn't that worth it? I think you need to ask yourself that like, maybe what you think your body is supposed to look like and what your body is meant to look like at its healthiest are different. But would you rather feel good or would you rather be like treating your body punitively and having this really rigid lifestyle just to look a certain way? I don't know. For some people, it might be worth it. But I think the point is wellness, I believe, is about feeling good. It's about having energy to go out and participate in life, feel comfortable in your body. It's kind of a balance of discipline and moderation. Like my approach to nutrition is very much moderation, which at this point is just intuitive to me. But the workout aspect, I will admit, does take discipline because I just don't always feel like doing it. But when I do something that I love, it makes it easier to have that discipline to get me over the hump of making excuses and not wanting to do it. I have no idea if this is even making sense, but Okay, let's see. Somebody asked me my current workout. So I was definitely in a workout rut for a long time. Like basically since doing my boobs, I just could not get back into a consistent routine. Like I was doing a few days a week with Harley, which I love, but I was I was craving the feeling that I get from doing Pilates. I think there's such a mind-body connection and I just don't always feel that with other workouts. So I was doing some at-home workouts, but I realized I really need the accountability right now of going and doing the full hour with an instructor. And also I love the energy of that and I love the social aspect. So I'm back to doing reformer Pilates at Forma three to four days a week. And then the other days I walk and no, I'm not hitting 10K or 12K steps or whatever. I'm just doing what I can. And I love Pilates because it's so hard, but I don't feel exhausted, like just dead after. I really feel energized. And even though it's so challenging, it also feels nourishing at the same time. And this fluctuates for me. Sometimes I like this. Other times I have more energy, maybe like when I have less stress and less responsibilities in life. And I feel like I have all this extra energy that I can dedicate to a workout where I can like go and. Hit it really hard for an hour with a trainer or whatever, but I'm just not there right now. I'm like a little bit overwhelmed. I have a lot going on and I want my workout to be really nourishing for me. So, yeah, I love the social aspect. Like I said, I love going and doing it with a friend. I feel like I've been way more social this year than last year and my life has really opened up in so many ways. So, that's like a whole other topic. Maybe I'll get to it today or not. Who knows? But For all of those reasons, I really love the uh, breakdown of the workout schedule that I have now. I feel like my mind is mushed, by the way. It's Sunday afternoon and I had such a busy weekend and I feel like I'm losing my voice. So if I have a vocal fry today, I'm really sorry. Okay. Somebody asked, how do I have the motivation to stay disciplined when it comes to things like working out, meditation, et cetera? Okay. Well, working out the discipline usually precedes the motivation. Like I rarely feel motivated, which like I just said, is why I need to have some layers of accountability built in. So I would say if you're struggling with discipline or consistency and you can't go to a class or have a trainer, see if a friend will be your accountability buddy and you guys can work out together or just text each other when you're done Or if you find a workout you like, see if there's a group that does it. Like I know, for example, Rachel from Rachel's Good Eats has a Facebook group for her workouts. And she said they all really motivate each other. So something like that. And that was the good thing about BBG back when it was a big thing. I mean, I know a lot of people still do it, but that was why I started my Instagram account was to have that accountability and talk to other people who were doing it and motivate one another. So You don't have to go to a class or do it with a friend or anything. If you can find some like-minded people or, like I said, find a Facebook group or something like that where you feel like you are being accountable and you're in it with somebody else. I think that's so helpful. So discipline. Yeah, I guess like sometimes, sometimes feeling good And feeling accomplished and getting those workout endorphins is enough motivation for me to have the discipline to work out. But I'm just being honest, like that's kind of rare for me right now, which is why I'm back to doing in person at Forma. And I am still going to do like a day or two with Harley and just like make a schedule and stick to it. And then with meditation, that one is a little bit tougher because the result of having a regular meditation practice has to be enough motivation for me to have the discipline to do it. So this definitely ebbs and flows. But for me right now, it's totally flowing because I recently heard somebody speaking about how TM changed her life instantly and all of the benefits and how amazing she felt and how clear and all of that. And I was like, oh, yeah, that happened to me when I initially committed to it and when I go through my periods of being really committed to doing twice a day I always do my morning but it's really the two a day for me that like really kind of solidifies it for me like I just was listening to her talk and I was like I have that tool too at my disposal and it does benefit every single aspect of my life so profoundly so I just need to do it. Discipline is definitely the hardest part of meditating not the meditating itself so I do it first thing in the morning before I'm even really awake. And then the afternoon meditation is the hardest thing because it's really hard to just stop your day, like stop, drop and meditate. I mean, who can do that? But I remember when I was learning TM, they were like, you know, the busiest people do this and it enables you to be that busy and function at a high level and be really clear. And so it is just that discipline to do it. And the afternoon one is really the one that I feel changes me on a cellular level. So lately I've just been doing it like it's a non-negotiable. And I'm just kind of at the point right now where I'm like, I have these tools and I have the capacity to feel so good, like physically, mentally, spiritually, like this is the best time of my life where I feel like I'm still relatively young, (laughs) vital, healthy, like thriving in a lot of ways. And I want to maximize that and enjoy it. And as somebody who I know in sobriety says, like, I want the big buzz, you know. So that's kind of my motivation right now to do all of these things, I guess. So we noticed that Harvey was getting way less enthusiastic to eat than normal he usually would come and find us exactly at his meal times to get us to feed him and then he started being kind of over it and we would have to convince him to eat so we realized he was probably just not that into his food so we tried a few different kinds and then the neighborhood gossip mill started going and people were saying that he was getting that. So we really couldn't figure out what was best, and our vet told us about Sundays for dogs ever since we switched him to Sundays. He is so excited for mealtime. He is looking nice and lean. His coat is looking gorgeous, and it just makes us happy to see him happy. So, Sundays is air dried dog food made from a short list of human grade ingredients. It was co founded by Dr. Tori, who is a practicing veterinarian, and it contains 90% meat, 10% vegetables, and 0% synthetic nutrients. So, Besides USDA beef and all natural chicken, you will find digestive aids like pumpkin and ginger, plus disease fighting antioxidants. So, Harvey is officially a wellness doggy. Unlike other fresh dog food, Sunday's is zero prep, zero mess, and zero stress. It's shelf stable, which makes it easy to feed your dog top quality food, and every order ships right to your door, so you never have to worry about running out of dog food again. Sunday's costs 40% less than other healthy dog food brands because Sunday's doesn't waste money shipping frozen packages. Instead, they spend on what matters, which is sourcing the best all-natural ingredients for your pup. So so they worked out a special deal for my dog loving listeners you can get 35 percent off your first order of sundays just go to SundaysforDogs.com slash blonde or use the code blonde at checkout that's sundays for dogs s-u-n-d-a-y-s-f-o-r-d-o-g-s.com forward slash blonde and you can upgrade your pup to sundays and feel good about the food you feed your dog When you look at your hair, are you 100% happy? For years, I tried every product under the sun, hoping each would help me improve my hair health and help me achieve my hair goals. But it seemed like no matter what I was trying, it was either too heavy, it would make my hair greasy, I would notice that I had hair breakage, and I could never really find something that just gave me that silky, healthy, strong, shiny, sleek hair that I was trying to achieve. But I've been using Vegamore for a couple months now, and not only am I finally seeing results, but I feel like I'm finally getting the hair that I have always wanted. I've gotten tons of compliments as well on my Instagram, and I just did a Q&A, and people never normally ask me this, and this Q&A everybody was asking me what I use for hair care. So I feel like Vegamore really transformed my hair. Their holistic approach to hair health uses smart botanicals that promote visibly thicker, fuller, longer looking hair. And with help from Vegamore, you can get healthy, beautiful looking hair without the use of harmful chemicals. All of their products are cruelty free and never contain parabens or hormones. And they have something for everyone looking to improve their hair health. So the Grow Revival. Vitalizing Shampoo and Conditioner Kit works together to create visibly thicker hair and improve hair from the roots. You just massage the shampoo into your scalp for 60 seconds, follow up with the conditioner. It's as simple as that. And it's been a total game changer, like I said, for my overall hair health. So normally I use a few extensions in the back of my hair just to add in some length, but I'm noticing that my Real hair is actually almost as long as the extensions now, which never happened before. So there's that. There's also the simplicity that I love. I love the smell. It doesn't weigh my hair down or make it greasy like the other products that I mentioned in the beginning. And with Vegamore, there is no risk when trying because they have a 90-day money-back guarantee. But with 91% of customers saying they saw visibly thicker hair, in just three months, you will not want to run out and you'll want to try it at least for a few months so that you can really see those results. So get the hair you've always wanted with Vegamore. Go to vegamore.com blonde And use the code BLONDE to save 20% on your first order. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash BLONDE with the code BLONDE to save 20%. Again, VEGAMORE.com slash BLONDE. How to find the courage to give up dieting and do I ever have restrictive thoughts about food come back in? Okay, so the courage to give up dieting I feel is a very deeply personal thing. Like for me, I feel kind of like with an addiction, you have to be at your rock bottom to be willing to change. And that applies to a lot of things. So that's basically what happened with my overexercising and my dieting. Like I was at rock bottom. I could not keep doing what I was doing. So I had to adopt a new way of living. That's what happened in my sobriety as well. So if you are Feeling like your way of life is not working for you, but you're scared and you don't know how to live any differently. Like, that's okay. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know what it's going to look like if you make a change. You can surrender without knowing the outcome. And again, like I can just relate this to my sobriety because I had this experience. I remember where I was standing when I made that mental decision to Surrender and to just say, like, okay, I'm going to stop clinging to everything in my life right now. And I have no idea what this is going to look like if I get sober, commit to sobriety, give up my apartment, voluntarily repo my car that I hadn't made a payment on in God knows how long, like all of these things. It was terrifying, but it was also exhilarating. And I think if you are waiting for the right sign to make the change, or you are waiting to know exactly what it's going to look like. If you do, you're going to be waiting forever. So when it comes to the dieting stuff, of course, I'm off on a tangent now. I would definitely recommend looking into some outside help if you can, whether that's a therapist. I think a registered dietitian would be so helpful. Vanessa Rosetto, who has been on my podcast like three, four times now, she has a company called Kalina Health in case you missed the episode i think it was in january and they take insurance and it's a team of registered dietitians they're amazing and they can help you navigate the transition and teach you how to eat more intuitively and help you along the way and they're so much better equipped to help than i am but there are resources and when she was on the podcast she was like You know, we have therapists for our mental health. We have doctors for various things. Our relationship with food is so important, but people are so hesitant to get help in that area. And I understand that cost, you know, can obviously be a barrier to that, but they take insurance. So definitely check that out. Utilize the resources that are available. But also I would say work on rebuilding that trust with your body. And of course, this is also something that you could do with a dietician or a therapist, whatever. I remember when Evelyn Triboli was on my podcast years ago and she talked about how constant dieting basically severs the trust that we all have with our bodies, but our bodies are designed to survive basically. And we have hunger cues and satiety cues And we do have this inherent intuition around these things and how to like be in homeostasis and all of that. So you can trust that. I know it's hard. I remember going through it myself. It was hard. I felt like if I didn't count macros, I don't remember what I thought would happen. I thought my body would blow up like a balloon. Like I just had zero trust, but you can rebuild that. So for me, I think the biggest piece was like, slowing down, like I said before, learning through trial and error and learning through feeling good and learning through feeling bad and learning through gaining weight and losing weight, et cetera. Like there were definitely a lot of fluctuations in all of those areas when I stopped being so rigid, but then everything kind of balanced out and it's been pretty constant for years. And hopefully this doesn't sound obnoxious. Hopefully this is motivating. I really don't overeat. Ever. I stop when I'm full somehow, or sometimes like before I even feel full. I know this is so annoying, but I don't binge ever. I don't really have cravings ever. Like, and it's definitely not because I have it all figured out, but I think I'm just really attuned to what's going on internally. Sometimes that's a great thing. Sometimes I hate it because I'm like, I wish I didn't feel every little thing. And I really don't restrict anything. And I eat when I'm hungry and stop when I'm full. And there's just no extremes. Like, again, moderation. You know, I don't restrict foods. I don't restrict food groups. And I go through phases, you know, but I would definitely say get professional help if you can. Okay, the second question, do I ever have restrictive thoughts about food? Well, like I said, I don't restrict, but I think I still have that little voice that we all have that will creep in Randomly, once in a while, like the other night, I was making pasta and I was like, hmm, that's a lot of carbs, like that voice in my head. But as quickly as it came, it went. And now, after like years of just kind of, I'm doing quotes with my fingers, intuitive eating, just eating, they are really few and far between. Okay, kind of similar question, but how to break the habit of thinking workouts have to be sweaty to get results? I would say just. Try it. Just do it. You won't know unless you try. I was shocked at how my body responded initially when I switched to really low impact Pilates and walking. Like the stress of those really intense workouts made me puffy and made me retain water. But I had to go through trial and error and really see it and feel it for myself to have that evidence to build on. And again, like that feeling good component and the sustainability of that and the eagerness to do the workouts were just such a great feeling compared to feeling exhausted and dreading working out and feeling like it was a punitive thing. But I definitely can't convince anyone. I don't think by talking about my experience, I really think you have to try it for yourself this past long weekend. It was so beautiful here in LA. It felt like spring and I felt inspired to cook a more spring kind of summery dish. So on Sunday night I made scallops and pasta and normally I cook my scallops in olive oil which is actually kind of not so great because olive oil doesn't have a high smoke temperature. So instead I used Macadamia oil. I mean, this is such a natural progression for me because you guys know that I eat macadamia nuts with my matcha in the morning. I have my matcha with macadamia nut milk. So, of course, The next frontier for me was macadamia oil. It has more beneficial effects to overall human health than olive oil or coconut oil. Its omega-7s have been linked to natural collagen production. Yes, please. Increased skin elasticity. Also, yes, please. Anti-inflammatory properties and fat loss. And like I said, it has a high smoke temperature, so it reduces the risk of free radicals, which cause aging that most other oils create when heated during cooking. And of course, my favorite is House of Macadamias. They have a special cold-pressed single-batch macadamia oil. You guys have to try this. You can use it for cooking, dressings, whatever you want. It's great for drizzling over a salad. It has this buttery taste that is so delicious. So if you are not on the macadamia oil train yet, you guys need to get on this. It's so, so good. And like I said, I love my macadamias with my matcha in the morning. Macadamias are the lowest carb nut. They have more healthy fat than even avocado, and they are rich in the rare omega-7s that no other oil or nut has. So their benefits are totally unique And House of Macadamias brings the highest quality premium macadamias directly to you in a range of purified oil, nuts, and a range of bars. They don't ever go on sale, but they have an amazing deal for you guys. They are so generous with my listeners. So you can get 20% off all purchases and for a limited time, all first orders will receive a cold-pressed extra virgin macadamia oil that's truly one of a kind, valued at $20. So you get this totally complimentary if you use the code BLONDE at checkout. So visit houseofmacadamias.com BLONDE to begin indulging in health. I know that ordering out and cooking more is a goal for a lot of people, but it can be really hard when you are busy. One option that I really love if you are trying to fit it in, but you don't have time to go out and be buying all the ingredients for recipes and coming up with recipes and all of the work that goes into it is Green Chef. Green Chef is a meal kit company. They make eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meals. They offer a range of recipes to suit your preferences and they have so many options. So they expanded their menu so you can choose from over 30 recipes weekly. You also have the option to mix and match meals from different dietary preferences in the same box. So if you and somebody that you live with have different preferences, I don't know if this sounds familiar to anybody, then you can still order from the same box, which is great. You don't have to change your plan. There is now more customization than ever. So in addition to swapping protein in any meal that features chicken, beef, or salmon for USDA certified organic ground beef, USDA certified organic chicken, and wild caught sockeye salmon, you can also add chicken or fish to select vegan and veggie recipes each week for that added protein boost. So we love that. And you can also double the portions in your weekly order with just one click. So I recently had these chicken bowls that were absolutely amazing and so easy to make. I love that their recipes really take no time. They even have 10-minute lunches. And then they have really great add-ons. So if you guys order, definitely check out the Milk Labs oatmeal. They have almond. They have blueberry. They have almond and blueberries, so you can get both. They have really good egg white bites and so much more, so that's another great option. And you can feel good about Green Chef because their recipes feature premium proteins, seasonal organic produce, and sustainably sourced seafood. Green Chef is also the only meal kit that is both carbon and plastic offset. They offset 100% of their carbon footprint as well as 100% of the plastic in every box so go to greenchef.com slash blonde 60 and use the code blonde 60 to get 60% off plus free shipping this is an amazing deal so definitely go check it out again it's greenchef.com slash blonde 60 and the code is blonde 60 for 60% off plus free shipping Okay, can I break down my supplements right now? Yes. So I start my day with athletic greens. You guys know that. It's just a habit at this point that I don't even think about. So I do that. And then right now I'm taking Symbiotica liposomal vitamin C and liposomal glutathione. I'm starting Symbiotica NMN this week for anti aging. And at night, I take NED magnesium and Symbiotica liposomal sleep formula. So this is changes and I add things when I need them or take things out but in general I don't take a million supplements I feel like I have so many bases covered with these and I keep it pretty simple that might not sound simple but I really enjoy it I love the symbiotica liposomal stuff because I feel like I'm having a little <laughs> treat like I don't feel like I'm taking vitamins like the vitamin C I think is what is the flavor maybe like vanilla cream or maybe that's their magnesium. I don't remember, but I'm like, ooh, time for my supplements. I get so excited. And then, like I said, I'm going to start working with Dr. Cho. So she might put me on different things depending on what's going on, but I will keep you guys posted. How to support my body when life is stressful. Well, meditation is huge for me. I try to really limit my screen time, like my phone and computer Literally jack up my nervous system constantly. So I have to be really cognizant of that. And if you missed my Instagram post or my TikTok, if you can't break your phone addiction, turn on grayscale. It makes your phone black and white. You're going to get way less dopamine like way less dopaminergic action. You will find that scrolling is just not enjoyable. Like it makes it really boring. So Google Grayscale iPhone. It'll tell you how. That definitely helps me. Sleep, obviously, super important. So I will go to bed even earlier because usually when I'm stressed out, I wake up super early. I walk more. Walking helps me to disrupt rumination. I love an ice bath. Well, I don't love it, but I do it. And it always helps. Dr. Maddie Elberger, who was on last week, she had that tip about activating your dive reflex. You can just do a super cold shower or bath for three minutes. I'll turn on calming music. I'll light a candle, make it a whole thing. What else? There are a lot of things we can do, but I also think there's a balance of taking care of ourselves and doing these things and also not trying to eliminate the feeling of stress completely because I feel like that resistance really does sometimes make it worse. So find what works for you. But I find that being more present, not being on the phone or computer constantly, get outside more, move sleep, meditate. Those things help me the most. Okay. And to that point, my best tips for making it through an anxious or hard day, I would use some of those tools, but I also think acceptance goes a long way, especially with that uncomfortable resistance piece of it. Like I get overwhelmed and stressed. And if I feel like I have to be on my A-game, I will do something like a cold plunge or meditation or both in the morning, walk, even if it's for five minutes, if I have time. But I also have to just be like, okay, this is what it is right now. And I've got this. I think sobriety has really taught me how to do that well because it's all about life on life's terms and trusting whatever you believe in and acceptance and being present and this belief that everything is exactly how it's meant to be in any given moment, whether I like it or not. So it's a huge reframe if say, for example, I didn't get any sleep and I'm feeling anxious and agitated and I have a huge interview and a bunch of work or deadlines to go from, wow, I'm not equipped to handle this today. It's going to be so terrible. I'm so uncomfortable. How can I get rid of this feeling to go from that to like, well, I guess this is exactly how I'm supposed to be today. And I know I'll get through it because I always do. I think it's really strengthened my relationship with myself because I have proven to myself over and over again that I can actually get through it and handle it. And sometimes it's actually a gift. So, an example of this, I've noticed that when I'm tired, I'm way less inhibited for whatever reason. So, I used to panic if I didn't get like eight or nine hours of sleep before a big interview or something, like, or just if I had to be on for something, maybe for an event. And now I'm like, Okay, I'm tired, but maybe this is actually the way that I'm meant to be because it usually leads to a better interview or feeling more comfortable or whatever the situation is. Like, I'm way more extroverted when I'm tired, which maybe somebody can DM me and tell me why this is. But I kind of feel like it's only bad if I make it bad. Meaning, yes, anxiety and hard days can be really uncomfortable. And obviously, it's all like circumstantial and there's a whole spectrum, and some things are way. Worse than others, but I can make it miserable or I can just make the best of it. And I try to do the latter. Someone asked, Do I get nervous before podcasts? How do I prepare? Do I get intimidated? Yes, sometimes, very rarely now, though. Like I've talked about this before, but the first year I would sweat through the interview because I was so nervous. I think I was just so introverted four years ago. Like, Not in my personal life, but I just had no experience interviewing or guiding a conversation and I didn't even really listen to podcasts when I started because there just weren't that many great relevant ones and I had no clue what the hell I was doing and now... I don't know what I am, 200 something interviews. And I really look forward to the interviews and I have so much fun. And that has also carried over into my personal life. Like I love going to events or dinners with people I don't know and just talking to strangers and learning about them, which was definitely not the case four years ago. I remember when I started, I bought Barbara Walters' book, I think called How to Talk to Anyone About Anything. (laughs) I don't think I ever read it, but I was like, I don't know how to do this. Like somebody teach me how. Now, it's by far my favorite thing. It's the biggest part of my business and my platform. And it's just funny how sometimes the thing that scares you the most is actually the path forward. And this has been the case time and time again in my life, personally, professionally. So if you're thinking about something that scares you, but you're thinking about doing it, I think that's a sign You should do it. But do I get intimidated? Yeah. So occasionally I will get a little intimidated, usually just if I'm talking to someone academic. Like I get starstruck by scientists, not celebrities usually, but I do a lot of preparation. So I will listen to the guest on other shows. I'll read interviews. I'll read about the subject we're discussing so I can have a conversation about it. I write down tons of questions just to have if I get stuck. So there is definitely a lot of preparation that goes into it. And then for each guest and each episode, there's the outreach. And I just want to say, I saw your list of dream guests and most of them I've reached out to, or I'm in the process of booking or I've reached out and I never heard back. So I'm trying. I feel you guys were on the same page about a lot of the people that you want to have on. But yeah, so there's like the outreach, then there's the research for the episode, then the recording itself. Then I listen back to the episode to write notes and write the description. and then. I send any edits to my producer, which goes to the editors, and then there's recording the ads, which are not one and done for me, unfortunately. Sometimes I can't even get through like a sentence without fucking up a word, (laughs) so I sit there having to record it over and over again and record the intro and... Whenever I feel like I've caught up on everything, the episode is released, sometimes two a week, and then I'm back at square one, and I'm always trying to book, always trying to schedule, always trying to find new guests, always trying to review people who have pitched themselves to Dear Media or myself to come on the show, research, record, edit, rinse, repeat. It's a lot. And I get creatively Really drained. So it's hard to stay on top of content for my social platforms when I'm doing all of that. So when you're not seeing me film a lot of new recipes or content or whatnot, now you know why. Things that make me happy, sad, or anxious lately. I will do one of each. Something that's made me happy lately is feeling clarity around my personal and professional life. Like last year was just really hard in both of those aspects. And I've talked about it here on my January solo, but I feel like getting through that was truly the greatest gift because I grew in so many ways that I wouldn't have grown had I not gone through that. And I just feel like a better version of myself this year. I'm more confident. I'm more content. I'm more at peace. I'm more focused on my goals. I'm less distracted. I'm more interested, I think, in other people and in Kind of enlarging my life in a lot of ways that don't have to just do with like me and what I'm going through, if that makes sense. I just kind of feel like my focus has gone from inward to outward, and I feel like I'm thriving in a lot of ways as a result of that. And that brings me happiness. Something making me sad. I don't really feel sad often, except before my period. And then I'm like an emo teenager, and literally everything makes me cry. But I can't think of anything making me sad right now. Something making me anxious. Right now, honestly, work. I'm behind with a lot of things. I have a lot of deadlines. But that's just kind of a constant in life. So I try not to get too stressed about it. It always gets done. But today, as I record this, it's definitely making me feel anxious. Okay, I'm going to do some quicker ones. What beauty and wellness things are worth the money to me? Beauty, I would say really good skincare. Like that, Jan Marini system has transformed my skin, and it's only been a few months, so it's a work in progress. But I love it. It is expensive, but it works. I'm gonna try Avi Clear, which is the acne laser, next week. Even though I don't have active breakouts right now, I'm hoping that I can go off the spironolactone without any issues. So we're gonna do that, and it's not that I have an issue with the spironolactone. I kind of love it, but since I'm working on my hormones with Dr. Cho, I'd like to get an accurate baseline. I do love a good laser in general. I haven't done any this laser season, but I think I'm going to do IPL next week on my body and then Fraxel and maybe BBL. And then wellness. I think it's so person specific, but I really do love cold plunge and that's not really money. I love a sauna. I'm looking for the best Sauna to put outside right now. So if you have any recommendations, let me know. I think the right supplements can be amazing, but really it's whatever makes you feel good. I remember Liz Moody said on my podcast if wellness is making you miserable, it's not wellness. To that point, I'm going to say if wellness is making you broke, it's not wellness either. You don't need all the things. So much like quote unquote wellness things are things that you can do without spending extra money. You can okay, well, this is spending money, but like you can buy frozen vegetables or like day-old produce, cook your meals at home if you have the time, go for a silent walk, put your feet on the grass. I do think there's something to that. Take a cold shower, sit in silence for five minutes if you can, go to bed, you know, half an hour earlier, not be on your phone 24 seven. Like there are these lifestyle modifications where you're not buying all the latest and greatest trendy things. So I know somebody will probably say like, not everybody can do those things. If you have four kids, you work three jobs, you're in a food desert, whatever. I get that there are different circumstances. I get the position that I'm in, but my point is you don't have to spend a ton of money on things. So that wasn't so quick. So I'm going to switch gears. Biggest game changer for skin pores, anti-aging. For me, exfoliating totally cleared out my pores. And I feel like that made them look small or like mostly imperceptible. The Jan Marini bioglycolic cleanser was a game changer for me for that. And also her Skinzyme mask and then anti-aging, obviously sunscreen, tons of water, sleep, Botox, lasers. I don't know. I can't really pick one. How to make time for your friends and your husband. I find I'm so tired by the weekend. Have your husband take up golf. If he doesn't already golf, buy him golf lessons for his birthday and then you don't need to entertain him on the weekends because he'll be gone playing golf the entire time how does it feel to how does it feel to revisit places where i lived some dark times of my life like florida when i got sober i never thought i would go back to florida i remember being 45 days sober having just testified in palm beach against the guy who murdered my friend reliving that trauma having to go through crime scene photos everything it was awful and I remember taking off and seeing Florida below me and thinking I was closing that chapter and I would never go back fast forward nine years later I go back all the time and I love it like so much I would get a place there but I think I just have grown so much and I'm so far removed from that person and that life that it's just not triggering for me. Like I actually love seeing all the places that I used to like hang out at, at, party at and where I have so many memories and so many non-memories like blackouts and places that I used to live. And it's kind of crazy. Like it's it's almost like I've had two lives. It is like I've had two lives and it's kind of cool for me to be back there and see it through sober eyes and get to experience those places sober as well how to date sober i don't know that i have great advice here you just have to do it like you're going to feel awkward initially but it does get easier it's so nice to just be yourself and not worry about getting too drunk or drunk texting or blacking out making an ass out of yourself like there are so many great things about dating sober And it does get easier. Like you will grow more comfortable in your skin the more time you have. But it's like anything. You just have to push through the discomfort a little bit. And sober sex is also way better, just saying. (laughs) Okay. Advice for getting life back together after addiction. I feel so overwhelmed. I mean, this is cliche, but I think the best advice I have for this is just focus on the day ahead of you. Focus on doing whatever you need to do today. Focus on whatever you have to do this hour or this minute. Like you don't have to think about the big picture. And that goes for anything. You can get really granular with it. Just do what's in front of you. And that's how you start to build a life. I'm trying to be short here. So there's a lot more that I want to say about that. But brevity. If I could tell my 30-year-old self anything, what would I say? I would say you are so young I remember at 30, I mean, it wasn't like that long ago, but kind of, I remember feeling like I was entering my geriatric era. Like I thought that that was it. Like my youth was over and that it was all downhill from there. So no, I would say you are so young and it's about to get really fucking good. Your 30s are amazing. So, I'm fully losing my voice, so I'm going to stop there. But thank you guys as always for listening. Thank you for supporting the show, sharing the show. If you have not rated, reviewed or subscribed or any of those things, please do. I know how many millions of downloads there are and I know there are about 3000 reviews which doesn't track. The math isn't mathing. So, I would love if you guys did that. I know there's so many podcasts out there. It really helps to keep the show on the top charts and obviously like sharing it in your stories, all of those things, TikToks. I love seeing it. It's amazing. I'm so grateful for all of you, even my hate listeners. Okay, love you. Bye.